This podcast is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. For a 10% discount on the National Disciple-Making Forum this October in Nashville, Tennessee, register at Discipleship.org and use the promotional code PODCAST. Producing this episode, I'm Chad Harrington. I asked Pat Morley about what discipleship has looked like in his life. He shared with me his conversion story and then how God used him to launch Man in the Mirror which was first the title of a book he wrote, and then it became a ministry. The goal of Man in the Mirror as a ministry is simple, helping men to disciple men. Here's Pat about his conversion story, how God radically changed his life, the result of which was a passion for discipling men. I grew up in a, in a Christian home that didn't know Christ, if that makes any sense. And so what happened was um, I quit high school. Uh, my dad drove me down to the Army enlistment office. He wasn't going to let me, uh, you know, hang around the house. And uh, I had a real chip on my shoulder. But it was because, not because I didn't think life had meaning and purpose. It was because I was absolutely certain that it did. But I was so frustrated that there was no attention being given to it in the in the, in the the school and in my family. And it just, so anyway, I, I quit high school. I uh, I decided that I'd try to make a lot of money, and that's how I would, I would find the secrets of meaning and purpose. So when I got out of the Army, I uh, pursued a career in, in business. And um, and so I guess it was a good economy. But anyway, I, I achieved all of my dreams uh, very early uh, in my 20s. Own my own business, home, the car I'd always wanted the woman, the type of woman that I always wanted, all of the things that I thought would, you know, make me happy. You've heard this story many times, I'm sure, but I was miserable. I mean, success, ironically, I mean, failure, of course, means to not get what you want, but I think another way of defining failure is to say that failure means to get exactly what you want, only to find out that it it, it really didn't matter, and that was me. Uh, success made me miserable. And uh, so I hated my life, just like Solomon hated his life. And uh, and my wife, when we were dating, I sort of uh, tricked her into thinking that I was a Christian. She was, and I think she wanted to be tricked. Uh, not this is not very good theology, but uh, I think she wanted to be tricked because she, uh, you know, she really liked me. I really liked her. We loved each other, and we wanted to get married. And and um, so as a salesman. She would ask these uh, religious-sounding questions. Well, I realized my answers were not satisfying her, so I stopped answering her questions and then would ask her a series of questions to sort of draw out, you know, what is the answer she's looking for. And then I just I lied to her. I told her what I thought would make her happy because I wanted to marry her. And uh, But, uh, Chad, <laughs> like two two weeks after our... Uh, wedding, uh, it was very clear that we had an ambiguity of terms about what it meant to be a Christian. And uh, so so I went off, so, so I, I was committed to a set of Christian values. I'd grown up in this very moral home, but I was surprised that Patsy uh, was committed to a person, to Jesus, and so uh, it took me quite a while to figure out this dichotomy. That, well, not dichotomy, it's just a difference. And so, yeah, I, um, 
I looked at her and I said, wow, I put my game face on every morning to try to be the kind of person that she just simply is out of the overflow of this relationship. So one day I uh, I was ranting and raving around the house and I was so frustrated and I was taking these frustrations out on her. And I looked at her and she had big tears rolling down her face. And I guess, to be honest, that was not that unusual at that point in our marriage because I was so frustrated. But there was something different this particular day. I remember uh, being transfixed, trying to look away, but I couldn't. And uh, she just looked into my eyes, kind of looked through me, really, and she said, uh, she said uh, this. She said, Pat, after she'd held my gaze for quite some time, or it seemed like a brief eternity anyway, she said, Pat, is there anything about me that you like? Wow. Wow. Well, you know, I felt like I'd been hit with a cattle prod, so uh, tasered. So anyway, I wandered off to the office and stared out the window and thought to myself, you know, Morley, you really are just a nobody headed nowhere, and it was really true. And so uh, shortly after that, I, I said to Patsy one day, why don't, we, why don't we try and go to a church? And this is where my story of discipleship really takes off. You're listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. We bring you stories of disciple makers who are making disciples that make disciples in the North American context. Today's episode is Pat Morley's story. Pat is the author of the book, The Man in the Mirror, and he's the founder of Man in the Mirror, a ministry that helps men disciple men. To get involved with this ministry, visit maninthemirror.org. Pat was just telling his conversion to Christ story. Here he is with more. So my story of discipleship begins by later learning that Patsy had begun to pray for me. And uh, I don't know how many other women were praying for me. But I know that my wife was, and uh, so one day we went to church. It was like a, a rush party. Uh, these people were prepared. <laughs> there were two young men in particular. One was in insurance, one was a young doctor. They were prepared for me. So, you know, when a, when a young man walks through the front door of a church, it's a good thing if some men have some leaders have sat around a table and tried to answer the question, you know, why would he do that? What is the problem that young man is trying to solve? Well, they had done that. They were ready for me. They were like a uh, bunch of special ops, guerrilla warriors, you know, Green Beret Christian types. So they took me under their wing and started to just befriend me. Not nothing, Nothing deep, you know, but just befriend me. And Invite me to lunch, invite us as couples to, to go out with them as couples. And then uh, because of the outpouring of affection or interest, which today I would call love, but back, back then I, I would just say, you know, friendship, we joined a Sunday school class. And I remember the Sunday school teacher, his name was Dan Stanley. Well, my name is Dan Stanley, uh, and I have known Pat uh, since the early 1970s, uh, he was in a Sunday school class that my wife and I were teaching. He and his wife, Patsy, were in a Sunday school class, and that's where we met. And what do you remember about Pat at the time? You know, he was he was in one of your first Bible studies, and, and he was kind of rough around the edges, uh, or, or maybe, well, <laughs> maybe wet behind the ears. What do you remember about him? Well, Pat was uh, a very, very 
successful young businessman. Uh, I, I, I admired his success in business, and uh, but uh, I also was uh, uh, appreciative of his interest, apparently, in uh, religious activities, and I think that was probably driven by his wife, Patsy. You know, all of us men that are that are worth anything have a good woman behind us, and Patsy. Uh, was that kind of a lady, is that kind of a lady. And I think that was one of the reasons they were in this uh, Sunday school class. So um, that that's uh, kind of what I remember about Pat at the time. And he, he said that you read Ephesians 5.25, and the Holy Spirit used that verse in particular to convict him about his life. You know, he said he felt like there was 20 eye, sets of eyes on him. But it, like like you were reading it for him, you know how how did that all come about for you to even read that passage that day? Well, uh, the Ephesians uh, that portion of Ephesians is a classic passage in Scripture regarding uh, uh, marriage. Uh, Paul, you know, in that passage talks about the the essentials of uh, how a Christian marriage should be. And um, that particular verse, uh, 525, says, Husbands, love your wives uh, as Christ loved the church. Uh, The implication is be willing to give up of yourself for your wife. uh, Put her first in everything. As I remember later in talking with Pat, he, he told me that he was sitting there in probably a two or $300 suit of clothes, as we all used to dress back in those days for Sunday school and church. And Patsy, his wife, was seated there with beside him with a very, very plain little house dress. And it really struck him uh, how he had put the major emphasis on himself and and uh, and was, was sort of, in a way, neglecting Patsy and her wardrobe. So uh, I think that's the, the, the one thing that, that I uh, remember and, and uh, will never forget, because uh, I've seen blessings that have come to both of them by his changes and his attitude and, and his devotion to his wife. And one morning, he, uh, I was sitting there in my uh, Hickey Freeman suit thinking about uh, which of the other men in the class might have money to invest in my real estate deals. That's how deep I was, you know. <laughs> and uh, and I was sort of staring at the terrazzo floor, and he read Ephesians 5.25, you know, husbands love your wives and so forth. Well, Chad, it was, I couldn't believe, I couldn't believe that everybody had told the teacher what a terrible husband that I had been, and I just knew that th- that there were twenty pairs of eyes zeroed in on me, and I could feel the white hot heat from those people staring at me. I couldn't even look up, and and I was so embarrassed, and, and my face turned beet red, my body was soaking wet with sweat, and of course, you know, the class went on, but uh, <laughs> uh, none of that actually happened. But that was the first time I, now looking back on it, uh, as I understand it, the first time that I really came under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And it was powerful. 
And so um, not long after that one day, after we left church, uh, our pastor, Hugh Lake, what a, what a great man of God, uh, he had preached a sermon, and uh, as we went away from the church, I was uh, picking on my wife about something, and finally I just said, God, I can't do this anymore. Uh, and I surrendered. I, I remember the exact spot on the road where it happened. I just pulled out my white hanky and said, Lord, I, I, I give up. Uh, you know, I am. I you know, confess that I am a, I am a sinner. I need a savior, and I want you to be the Lord of my life. And I, I give up, and uh, and I was converted. Well, you know, I don't. I never think about it as as my discipling path. Uh, I think about God using that passage of scripture to impact His life, uh, and. Uh, Maybe opening him up to uh, the relationship that he has and has had now for many many years with with the Lord Jesus Christ. So the the relationship or the the, the little contribution that that God used me for in reading that passage of scripture uh, is is uh, good, but. I know it's a lot more to it than to his growth in Christ than than, than just that. But uh, I've I've always admired him and uh, his 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 tenacity. He he uh, he will not let go of something. He he takes hold of in discipleship matters, and I've I've seen his ministry grow and and blossom, and uh, how it's benefited uh, thousands thousands of men who have come to know Christ as their Savior, and also how to know how to walk with Christ and uh, and become disciple-makers themselves. And then not long after that, uh, Jim Gillian, who was a leader in the church, invited my wife Patsy and me to become involved in his home group. And I was so honored by that. And uh, he, it was in that group that we really started to become equipped. He, you know, so Jim was a unique man. He was an engineer. Um, he's deceased. And he saw something in me, though, that I didn't see in myself. And I think what really got to me, Chad, was that he believed in me more than I believed in myself. He spoke these words of encouragement. Uh, you know, words I'd really never heard before, and it just sort of unchained something inside of me. Uh, I caught a vision to become the man that God had created me to be. It released power, you know, to become a man I, I really didn't even know that was that was there. And so uh, Jim is the one that started me down a path to become, uh, you know, a godly man, husband, father, disciple, worker, and so forth, and disciple maker, too. The change in my life was so abrupt and so radical. I just never got over it. And so today I'm greedy. I'm just I'm greedy for men's souls. I just I really want I want other men to be able to experience the joy that I've experienced. So I'm like the the smoker who smoked all his life, you know, and then was able to break it. Now he wants everybody else to be able to break it too. We're taking a break from the story to hear more about how you can grow as a disciple maker by joining the national conversation that's going on right now. For starters, join the Discipleship.org National Forum for Disciple Making at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Nashville, Tennessee, this October 6th and 7th. 
This is a two-day conference specifically for you. If you're a leader of any type in the church, paid or unpaid, volunteer or on staff, pastors and laypersons alike will learn best practices for disciple-making today. It's on a Thursday and a Friday so that you can travel from just about anywhere in the country and still make it back for Sunday. This year's theme for the forum is called Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. This conference is the first of its kind because 10 disciple-making organizations will all be in one place at the same time. Each organization will host a track at the conference. One of those 10 tracks is hosted by Man in the Mirror. Their track this year is called Until Every Church Disciples Every Man. Here's Pat on why he's excited about the National Disciple-Making Forum. Early uh, in the formation of discipleship.org, I got invited to attend the meeting, and I was so deeply impressed with the uh, sincerity, with the humility, with the passion, with the desire to create a larger national dialogue about the urgent necessity to make disciples. And so we decided to be involved in this because you know, we believe that we have an alignment. Uh, you know, we're, we're after the same thing. Also, from our side, we want uh, to make sure that there's a uh, an emphasis on the, 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 the men piece of this calculus as well. You know, um, our paradigm is simple. If you get uh, men right, you tend to get marriages right. If you get marriages right, then you get families right. If you get families right, you get churches right. And if you get churches right, then you really do have a chance to change the world. Every discipling, every different uh, aspect of the body is important, but we uh, do see that up at the wellspring of this thing. There's a famous uh, illustration in the social sciences about a villager who went down to a river one morning to get water, and there was a drowning baby floating down the river. Shocked, the villager rescued the baby. Next day went down and uh, to get water, and there were two babies drowning, floating down the river, and rescued them. The next day went back, and there were four. The next day went back, and there were eight, and so the villager began to recruit others, and soon all the villagers uh, were going down to the river every morning to rescue drowning babies, but nobody ever asked, why are the babies in the river? And so when you look at virtually every problem that faces us today, whether it's fatherlessness, uh, divorce, uh, racism, poverty, uh, corruption, uh, you know, you name it, uh, you will, generally speaking, find uh, behind that failure a man who probably got up this morning wanting to be successful. And uh, so we believe, actually we know, that the answer... So, you know, disciples making disciples is God's designated way to release the power of his gospel on every problem that we face. So discipling men is so crucial, and we want that to be part of the conversation. Register for the National Forum for Disciple-Making at discipleship.org. Get a 10% discount if you're coming by yourself or bringing a group that's not yet registered by using the promotional code PODCAST. And now back to the story. At the beginning of this episode, Pat shared his story of conversion to Christ, including how men have invested into him as a disciple. His conversion ended up leading to the founding of a ministry focused on discipling men. So I pressed into that focus a bit more to hear the story of how Pat's book became a ministry. Here's Pat on how Man in the Mirror came to be. My background is real estate development. (laughs) 
And my wife and I were doing executive ministries, which is a division of Campus Crusade here in the Orlando area. So we were inviting executives and spouses to come to these uh, dinner parties and and then evangelizing them through uh, interesting speakers. And I decided, uh, gosh, we should start a Bible study. And so I did. <clears throat> As it turned out, none of the none of the people who ever went to the dinners came to the Bible study, but it, it developed its own life. And that was in 1986, 30 years ago. And we still do still do the Bible study, uh, by the way. And um, and so I started talking about the problems of men. And we, by the way, we started in a bar uh, that because a friend of mine owned, owned this place and. He gave us uh, the space for free and and had somebody come in early and make, make coffee. It was, it was pretty awesome. And uh, so we started with 15 guys, and uh, today we have about uh, 15,000 guys, but we do it uh, locally. We also do it online. But we started with these 15 men, and I uh, started talking about the problems of men. That was the series I did. And you could just really see uh, the lights come on. It was really resonating, and and I think the reason for that is that I was I really basically undressed, you know, right in front of the guys. I mean, I just was so personally vulnerable, and I guess that's uh, I've continued to do that. I I just really share what was really going on in my life, and it and it resonated. And so then in 1989, uh, that turned into a book, uh, The Man in the Mirror, the book you referenced. So the publisher had a warehouse full of books that nobody wanted. I mean, you know, I'm I'm a real estate developer in Santa Florida. You know, what could I possibly have to, to say? And so, but um, they came up with an idea to give the book to pastors for free if they would come into a Christian bookstore to pick it up. 7,000 pastors did that. And then they started uh, mentioning it, uh, things from the pulpit and getting their deacon and elder groups to go through the book, and so that's how it caught on. And so uh, I, you can imagine how deeply indebted I am to pastors, how grateful I am to pastors, how much I love pastors, because if it wasn't for pastors, I'd still be, still be building office buildings that, let's face it, nobody really <laughs> wants to pay the fair rent for. So, um, yeah, I uh, left left business in 1991, and then started the ministry, uh, Man in the Mirror, floundered around for about five years, really trying to get the bearings. And then uh, since for the last 20 years, we've been just extremely diligent, focused on one thing, one thing, one thing only, and that's helping churches to disciple men. As you kind of look at, at your life and investing into other men, you know, who kind of stands out to you as someone that, that, that you've got a story with, that you've been able to pass that disciple-making passion onto kind of on a grassroots level? Well, on a grassroots level, so for, first of all, organizationally, we've got a, a group of people that I've been pouring into uh, all of my adult life and developing them as leaders and disciple-makers, and that's exciting. Uh, through the Bible study, so we have table leaders. Uh, we have men who have anywhere from, you know, four to 12 men sitting at a table. And so over these last 30 years, I've developed, and then I meet with those leaders separately uh, as well. So I have, uh, we're getting ready to do, to do our 30th anniversary reunion, and so I, that's why I know the, this number. 
I have 85 men that I have discipled to be disciple makers. And I think that's uh, probably uh, among a handful of my most proud achievements, the uh, proud in the right way, you know, like a, a father, like a father. I'm I'm just so thrilled. And, and these men now, most of them, uh, you know, so we still have 20 there, 20 leaders there. So that means 65 men that have been dispersed, and, you know, a few of them have gone to be with the Lord, too. And so uh, it's just been so thrilling to see. So like one, one man, uh, one of our leaders, he turned around, and, and then he, uh, I might have these numbers not exactly right, but he he has turned around and discipled 135 men through the local First Baptist Church, through a men's group that meets on Sunday morning. And then one of his men has turned around, and uh, in a home, uh, through his uh, ministry he runs in his home, reaching men, has discipled another 70 men. And so, you know, this is the multiplication that, you know, used to be a big thing back uh, when I first got started. People talk about, you know, the multiplication of uh, disciples, it, but, it, it, but it, it's happening, it's, and it's just thrilling. It's very exciting. Mike is the name of the guy Pat is talking about. So I called Mike to hear more about how God used Pat's focus on discipling men. Mike shared with me what his life was like before and after he started to learn about discipleship starting with a men's Bible study that Pat was leading. My name is Mike, and I live in the Memphis area, and I'm an IT manager. And how did you first meet Pat Morley? In April 2003, I found myself facing a crisis. Uh, I was 50 years of age and uh, found myself in a place of loneliness, confusion, hurting, and uh, being afraid. Uh, my family was falling apart, and my religion and best efforts couldn't fix it. I recall during that uh, period of time just just finally falling to the floor, <clears throat> crying out to God, and and just just asking Him. I said, God, I, I just can't do this anymore, and I I don't want to spend the rest of my life this way. I want to do things Your way, not mine. So. Um, the next that was on a weekend, and on the next Monday, uh, I saw a marriage counselor. And uh, during that session, he gave me a, a little business card to attend a Friday morning Bible study. And I recall saying to him, "I don't want to attend a men's Bible study. What does that have to do with fixing my marriage? I want you to fix my marriage." Um, but uh, I ended up going. Uh, that was one of the hardest things that I that I did. I remember, you know, almost turning the car around several times, but, but I didn't. I went. I walked into a room, and uh, there, were, there were probably about 50, 70 people in the room, but I could just feel all these, you know, eyes on me, looking at me, being full of shame and guilt and hurt, um, feeling that I hadn't you know, no place uh, among these men because they have their act together. But uh, that that wasn't the case. Um, I, I found ordinary men like me. Uh, I found a love uh, like nothing I experienced before. And uh, men that were saying to me, encouraging me, I understand. I've been where you've been. And that's where I met Pat Morley and, and was introduced to Man in the Mirror. 
So what caused you to change? Actually, like I said before, it's a process, and I began attending Man in the Mirror Bible study, and then the past teaching and interacting with other men at my table, I was challenged to, to read God's Word, and the more I read, the, the more I desired His Word, and just associating with other men, uh, disciples of Jesus, getting involved. also started reading books by uh, Tozer, Oswald Chambers, Blackaby, Philip Yancey, and, and, and of course, Pat Morley. But the um, one thing that, that really uh, God put in my heart was a desire for His Word, memorizing His Word, immersing myself in His Word and His promises. And um, but, but little did I know that things would get much worse in the weeks, months ahead. Um, you know, there were, there were added financial issues that, that uh, came about because of bad decisions I had made. And... Um, you know, trying to, to please my family and then doing some other things out of my own strength that led to more strife and more heartache. And um, my wife's heart turned away from me because, you know, there I was and I was unable to fix things and provide a way out of the mess we were in. So it, it, it began a journey uh, through a very, very dark period of time in my life where, where things were just, you know, I was alone. Uh, no one wanted to talk to me. I was repulsive to my loved ones. It was almost like uh, Job describes in Job 19, that similar experience. But I had a choice to make, uh, Chad. I had to either um, continue through this path of, of, of darkness and, and suffering and, and let God do His work or, or, or continue to find a way out of it. But I, I chose to continue to stay in the battle and most of all to love my wife and to be there for my children and and give them something that would last forever. And I wanted them to know at the end of the day that, that their dad loved their mother, that he loved God first and foremost, but then he loved their mother. And um, it, it was it was very hard, uh, dying to self, uh, absorbing blows, whatever. You know, he, I just I just recall reading the words of Jesus when he said in Matthew ten thirty nine, "He who finds his life will lose it." He who loses his life for my sake will find it. And it just, the lights came on. It said, you know, I, I, I've been trying to find my life, and I need to lose it. And um, and so that, that began a journey that uh, that that continues to this day. And, and to answer your question, um, it, it was, wasn't enough to just read and study and attend these Bible studies. I had to apply what I was learning. I had to do it. And just in a nutshell, I had to believe that what God said is true, even when things didn't make sense and my circumstances certainly didn't make any sense at the time, and to trust the unseen. That's when I began to find the peace, the strength, the joy uh, to continue moment by moment, day by day. Um, so, um, but but also along that way, too, to, to surround myself with men. And God put those men around me, showing me strength, encouraging me, uh, helping me. Um, men I didn't know I needed until then. But um, it, it was such a blessing. Wise men who loved God. Something happened that I never imagined, and that was ministry. Um, I always thought that was that was delegated to somebody else, not me. Um, but ministry exploded out of that, Chad. Um, 
one thing that that happened was was back in 2009 um out of this this brokenness and and and, and God just showing me a new normal a new perspective on life um that uh I, I challenged our church to begin a men's class because one did not exist at that time and um uh, this was uh, and so in January 2010 uh, a class was started of of a few men and um I found myself in in a in a leadership role there and just just building relationships with men and over over that time from January 2010 until um 2016 we saw over 150 men come through the doors of that class um some men hurting, some seeking, some just out of curiosity, but um, relationships happened over time, and uh, other Bible study groups happened um, in different times of the week out of that, out of those relationships. So uh, a Bible study group to this day meets every Tuesday night, and in that group alone, uh, I've been told that over 70 men have come in to that man's home and sat around a table uh, and um, talking and uh, getting into God's Word. To finish out this episode, here's a word from Pat Morley. He gives the meat of his message and his ministry right now. I asked him, What's your main message for the church today with regard to making disciples? So I, I have a, I did a PhD in leadership and organizational change, and, uh, and I got very interested in the theory of constraints. Basically, it's the idea of if you, I went to this Holiday Inn restaurant once, uh, Holiday Inn motel once, and they had a breakfast buffet. And uh, everybody went through the buffet, but when they got halfway through, the line came to a stop. Why? Well, they had put the toaster in the middle of the buffet line. So that became a constraint or a bottleneck. Well, now, if you move the toaster down to the end of the buffet line, where it should have been to begin with, right, then then people go through the buffet line, and then they put their bread in, and then they step aside and wait for their toast. But, but, but then what happens? Well, then the omelet station, you know, then that becomes the uh, bottleneck. And the point of this theory is, is that at any one time, there really is only one bottleneck. People may think there are many things that are holding back the church, but at any one point, there's really usually only one thing that's holding back uh, a church. And I think, now this is a generalization, but we use generalizations because they're generally true. I think today, with regard to men at least, because that's my area, I think I have a pretty good idea of what the bottleneck is today, what where the, where the church needs to see some movement. Here it is. I think uh, chiefly speaking, most of us don't need more food, we need more exercise. And so paralleling what's happened in culture, I think that spiritual obesity is now a health crisis in our church. In our time, you know, we have so many spiritual overeaters. They've been really gorging on good teaching for years, but they haven't been following the Jesus way of discipling others as they have been discipled. So in my opinion, the current the current bottleneck, you know, the one problem and, and also opportunity that's most holding us back as churches from being faithful to our mission is this, disciples not making disciples starting at home. Now, Chad, 
obviously, disciples not making disciples is an oxymoron. I mean, it doesn't make any sense. It's an internally in- inconsistent statement. But uh, I believe that's that's the most urgent need uh, facing the Church today. So my message to uh, the Christian Church is uh, let's stop, examine ourselves, uh, see where the bottleneck is, and, 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 and if it's true in, in your Church that you have been pouring into people, uh, let's give them a vision also for turning around and pouring that into other people. And that's how we're going to grow God's kingdom. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast by Discipleship.org. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting Discipleship.org. Make sure to register and join us this October for the National Disciple Makers Forum in Nashville, Tennessee.